broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 168 of the Freight 360 Podcast. It, it, we're, I mean, hey, welcome to December. We're going to talk about your year-end planning and what you can do coming into next year. Uh, it's going to be a good episode. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing well. You look pretty comfortable in that new chair. How are you <laughs> digging that, man? Testing it out. I, uh, I like a new, I like a new relaxed feel or look. Yeah. Well, I always see like these podcasts and stuff where these guys are sitting in like comfortable chairs and they got the microphone that comes to them. And I'm like, why don't I just... Like we we're set up our Christmas tree soon, and I moved a chair in our living room, and I was like, "I'll just uh, put that in the basement where I do the podcast." So we're trying it I was out. Thinking gonna, the same, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. I dig it. Yep, good stuff. Um, it's going to be a good episode. Make sure to share us with all your friends in the industry. Keep leaving those reviews. We actually got a really nice message yesterday from a guy that was very thankful. He, I think, he spent like a couple decades out of the industry and just came back and. Loves their stuff. So appreciate all the feedback from you guys. And uh, you can leave those reviews on iTunes and make sure to like all of our content on, on YouTube and everything as well. It helps us rank good and, and share the good word here. So uh, this episode is brought to you by Blue Book Services. Blue Book is the resource that you need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. And Blue Book's credit rating will help you avoid companies with high credit risk. Their team can also help you dispute or resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to ProduceBlueBook.com and click join today. That's ProduceBlueBook.com. And I have seen a lot of disputes uh, resolved through our company, Pierce Worldwide Logistics, um, through Blue Book this this year. So it's great folks over there. We love what they do. And um, we're going to be having them on again um, sometime later in December to talk about some good stuff. So, um, sports, the bills are back to their winning streak. They've got, Oh, I don't have my, my, uh, bill schedule is over on the other wall, but they had a nice win. Uh, they had two back-to-back wins on the road in Detroit. So the Thanksgiving matchup was actually a lot closer than I would have hoped for, but, uh, they pulled off a nice win and the Steelers Monday night football, right? I Dude, know. That was awesome. They actually crazy. played some football, won the game. Yeah. It was a good game to watch. I was like, wow. I, I was like, I'm starting to be a big believer in in Kenny Pickett, man. He, uh, I, I also I love this. I love the the whole. You know, he never had to. He he just had to switch locker rooms, right? Because he played at Pitt. Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. same stadium. So yeah, that's good stuff. I think man. He's, he's improving weekly. I think the team is, and I think. I mean, they were talking about that this week. They said, you know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather the team start showing signs of positivity and a foundation as opposed to them just tanking the rest of the season to get a draft picket that might not, you know, pan out anyway? Exactly. So that was good. The uh, Bills have the next three games will be against division rivals. Thursday so, night, right? Tomorrow yeah, so I guess when this releases, it will have, we will have already played New England in Foxborough, and then there, there's the uh, – uh, Jets and Miami. I forget who's which week it goes. Jets and then the Dolphins. Yeah. So good stuff. AFC East is three back to back games. And this is going to be huge because the Bills are currently not in first place in their division because Miami has the tiebreaker because they just embarrassed us uh, early on in the season. But uh, we had people fall over like, you know, like 
dead rats or something. But anyway, um, World Cup? You U.S.? Play soccer? Yeah. I feel I, like I've been, I'm just like a sports guy, right? It's like I, I don't watch soccer, but I've watched some World Cup games. Saw the, I was part of it. U.S., yeah, advanced against Iran, yeah. Iran right? Yeah. Iran, yeah, yeah, Iran yesterday. They won one to nothing, I think it was. So, you know, the crazy thing about soccer, and again, we talked about this in recent episode, my limited knowledge of it, it's all I know is from Ted Lasso, but they can tie, and like even in the World Cup, they can tie. But I didn't realize, so the scoring, the way it works is you get three points for a win, one point for a tie, nothing for a loss. So, and then if you have a, if you have a, tie of points they go to like your point differential i think to for the tiebreaker but um i saw like there's a game that just ended zero zero and i'm like that's 90 minutes of did they have sh- yeah did they, did they have a sh- did they have a shootout after is that how it goes in the well i i don't know like when they get to the championship uh, there's got to be something right i mean any you listeners yeah, out there that know yeah. soccer why don't you shoot us a message and let us know how it works so we can uh get our information straight here, but I don't know. There's no shootout at the end of a tied game. It just, it's tied. Call it, uh, I don't know, just tied. I learned that the word nil means zero. Yeah. So, but all right, whatever. Um, got some new, some news in the industry. Um, Tesla has their electric semi truck just had its, well, Elon Musk tweeted at least, and there's been reports about it on freight waves and everywhere else. Uh, they successfully completed a 500 mile um, trip, and they're supposed to be delivering yeah. some some trucks to I think it's like Pepsi or Frito Lay or whatever, um, like in this December, like this month. So curious though, there's a lot of like comments on it. People are like, was "So it many downhill the whole way? Did they charge it? Like, was it empty? <laughs> no." But what do you think about that? Honestly, I don't understand why everyone's so like viscerally like upset or like, I don't know, even has some, I'm just like, I don't know, emotional, uh, emotional uh, electric vehicles like are becoming so prevalent on the consumer side that I'm like, I don't know. I don't think it's that disruptive for them to transition into the commercial side. I think, I mean, that's inevitably where we're going as a, as a globe, right? Not our country. Not like we can't sustain the way we're burning through natural fuels. There's no way we can continue living like this for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years without horrible implications. Like, I don't know. Isn't this kind of obvious? And I got you got to remind people too. This is not the autonomous truck. Yeah. This is it's just driving itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a still someone driving it. So yeah. I think a lot of people thought it was an autonomous one and they're getting, they're like worried that, oh, truck driver jobs are going to go away. No. So, yeah. But and yeah. by the way, yeah. I, I saw something else. Somebody made a really interesting counterpoint and I think it was on Freightways, but I did read through all the comments and somebody was like, look, it was somebody that had experience in like aviation and they were like, look, you know, airplanes and trains are like light years ahead of trucks or cars as it relates to autonomous driving. Well, because the sky and the train, like they're unpredictable, right? Like yeah. paths to some degree. And they were like, even in those scenarios, right? Like they're not going to just get rid of pilots or train conductors. And it's like, even once that's there, hopefully, you know, it's going to just ease the burden of drivers, not necessarily replace them. I don't think it will anytime soon. Um, but again, we'll see. I also think that in with the younger generations that ultimately will have to replace the driving generation of today, 
if there's less desire to drive a truck, we need to find a way to replace that. But it also creates opportunities for jobs and research and development and stuff like that too. So it's not, I don't think this, I don't think the autonomous thing hurts anybody. I still think it's a bit away. I will, I'll say this. The two things that is one, I remember reading about it eight years ago, nine years ago when Google was first doing it and they were like having like impressive results. And it was like, oh, well, this is right around the corner. But, you know, it's 10, 11 years later, like I have an autonomous feature on my truck. It sure as shit doesn't drive itself. But when I'm on the highway, it has lane control. So someone jumps in front of me and for whatever reason, I don't react in time. It'll slow the car down. And it's just like less effort for me. Like I know when I've driven up to see you up in, you know, Stewart and everything, it's a two and a half hour drive. When I get out of the vehicle, because it's all one direction on 95, I'm not even getting off of the road, but I just didn't feel as tired, right? Like I yeah. got out of the vehicle and it wasn't like I felt like I wasted a whole day's worth of energy focusing on driving for three hours. Like I got out and it was just like, it was less fatigue. And I'm like, I feel like we want that for our truck drivers anyway. I mean, to some degree. So I agree. I it's and then the right. other the, the other big news is the um and I didn't read this one, you did, but the the rail potential strike. What came out of the uh out of Washington today? Well, so I didn't see what came out today, but that article I read was as of this morning, was you know, a lot of people in the unions were kind of upset. There was there's 12 rail unions, eight of which have uh, have accepted what was negotiated last month with the president's team. Now, the last four haven't, and it seems like the sticking points are over like paid time off or sick leave. I think they literally don't have any sick time in the rails. Like well, I got your like news right here from Freight Waves. It says the House votes to prevent rail strike guarantees paid sick leave. The House voted 290 to 137 to intervene on a potential rail strike. Voted well, the vote also guarantees seven days of paid sick leave. I didn't know they didn't get yeah. That. Okay. And here's the other thing though is well, the, the Democrats still have the Senate, so it could probably get pushed through. But there were, at least in the article I read this morning, a few Democrats and a few Republicans that said they wouldn't vote for it to pass the Senate. Marco Rubio, I know Bernie Sanders was one of the noteworthy names I saw that said, oh, and Jamal Bowman, Democrat from New York, indicated he would vote against the rail legislation saying, I can't in good conscience vote for a bill that doesn't give the rail workers the paid leave they deserve. So I guess if they're going to force it, I don't really know how that legislation is going to deal with the other side. I don't know. Can they just give things to the workers without making the rail companies agree to it, I guess? I don't know. I'm going to be anxious. Whatever they say they want to do until it's challenged. Well, here's the thing. And here's why I think this really matters, right? Obviously for everyone out there, if this happens, you keep hearing that they're going to, they're talking about 2 million, $2 billion a day cost to our economy, but this will drive spot market trucking rates up significantly. And I think would create a lot of, I think, activity in our industry. If it, if the strike goes into place, even if it's for a few days, like if they shut the rails down, it's going to push. I was, I was even reading some articles last week of companies that were moving trans, the auto industry was stopping using rail for their transistors, like all their computer chips, because yeah. if they do get disrupted, they can't have them stuck in the rail system. So they've all moved them to truckload. So a lot of you guys that are working with uh, automotive customers out there, you're probably going to see your truckload volume pick up because 
just as a preventative me- measure, they had stated they were going to stop using rail for at least a good portion of what they were bringing in. Interesting. Well, good stuff. Um, let's give a shout out to our friends at DAT and we'll hop into it. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Express, Trucker's Edge, or Power. Hey, if you speaking of DAT, have you um, seen the new – so DAT1 is like the new branded product for yep. DAT. They started doing training. So like they had our company this week, they were – like basically trying to show everyone how the new platform works and all that. So, and that's one of the things I've always loved about DAT is whenever someone has a new account with them, they like, they literally will contact you and say like, Hey, we'll train you on how to use our software. So yeah, pretty cool. So good stuff. Um, year end planning. That's the, that's kind of, well, we're talking about like, it's, you know, we're, we're approaching the end of the year here, things to expect and what you could do to get yourself a, a good start for next year. Um, we did a we did an episode like this last year, and it's just good to remind yourself that you know the end of the year is coming, regardless of whether you want to or not. It's like Christmas falls on December twenty fifth every year, no matter what you think, it's going to it's going to happen. So, which means for us freight brokers, right, the end of the year you will tend to see things like a slowdown in um, things shipping because companies shift to doing inventory before the, the end of, or before the beginning of the next year. Also what happens in the beginning of the year, there's new budgets, you have um, new bids, you know, you have all this stuff that, you know, that the year closes out and the year begins. Um, there are important things, but also for those of you who are a W2 um, at a larger company, or, you know, even if you own your own brokerage or an agent, it's a good time to have your goals set in place for the year so you can track your performance and make adjustments as needed. So I've always been, um, I'm big on setting my goals for the next year in December. And then um, I like to check in on them like every, uh, a little bit every month, but definitely like at least at the quarterly level and throughout the middle of the year, like how am I doing versus what my goal was and what went good, what didn't go good and what needs to be changed, stuff like that. How do you, do you, know how do you go about doing that? You know what I did last year? I ch- I've changed it a little bit, but one of the things I really liked was, have you ever read the book 12 Week Year? No. So in a long, the whole book will summarize on a couple minutes, but it's really, if you look at every company at the end of the quarter, you tend to see numbers ramp up because that's when the company gets rewarded for its performance. Well, within a company, you tend to see salespeople and performance fall right in line with that, where they pick up, pick up, and then they spike right towards the end of the quarter. Also do that towards the end of the year, just like we were talking about. So what the book says is it basically takes the time premise of your goals and realigns it with literally that, a 12-week year. So what you do is you literally, January 1 is your January. The second week of January is February. So each week is literally a month and it's a 12-week year. But what's interesting about it is when you set your goals up in that way and you look at a shorter defined timeline, it tends to keep your energy up as opposed to looking at something as far out as 12 months away. Our brains tend to can only connect goals that are usually 30 to 60 days out. 
anything beyond that, your mind just like we're human beings, we didn't evolve to plan and to do things three months from now. Like we're much more in the short term. So I've always thought it was a really effective way to also one of the things I liked the most was when you're mapping out your goals over a quarter, you know, 12 weeks, when you miss a week, you notice it and it has an impact. But when you're looking at a 52 week year, you kind of look at it and go, I don't know, it's the second week of January. I can kind of do a little bit more of what I wanted. I got plenty of time to catch up. I'll get to that when I need to. And there's lots of people that fall into that, you know, every single time they set their goals. So I thought it was a really good- I do remember you telling me about this book. I think you you brought it up in the past. It, It rings a bell now. I think I read it like literally, it was like January of last year. Maybe it was January of the year before, but it's a really good exercise to do along with your other goals. Because even if you map out your whole year, I always suggest that you still then take a look at your next three months go, okay, like yeah. what is this defined time frame? And then when you map them out that way, it just has a different psychological effect when you look at the weeks as if they're months because they feel like you don't really want to lose a week because you feel no, like you've right. lost a significant portion. So you, you make a good point. Like I'm, so I'm thinking about doing a trip in February to Florida to warm up a little bit. We, my wife and I, we've been going there over the wintertime for a number of years now. And I'm a lot more focused on planning for that than I am planning for Thanksgiving, which is a year away, you know, next yep. year. So that, that's a very, yeah. very valid point. Um, so some of the things that I think are really important to hit on when it comes to planning and setting your goals is your boss should not be dictating to you what your goals are. Okay. I have all these times. Managers and bosses, however you define that relationship, whether it's the owner or not, 100%, I couldn't agree with that more. Because then they don't matter. They're just expectations. They can give you you a sales quota or whatever they want, but what's the point of that? The reason that you should be setting your goal is because you're the one that knows best what you what you think you're capable of. And you're going to look at things like, well, what did I do last year? What do I have in my pipeline right now? Did I get awarded any new business for Q1 from any of my customers that I picked up this, you know, at the later part of this year? Um, you're going to know that. You're, you're, if your boss says to you, hey, you did, um, you did a million in sales last year. I want you to do 1.2 this year. What, what context are they using to get well, they do, oh, I just want 20% growth. Yeah. Well, okay. And here's what's unrealistic. What if you have somebody that they just picked up a massive client in November and they're yes. going to triple their numbers next year. And now it's like, mm-hmm. oh, he knocked the quota or the goal out of the park. It's like, well, no, you didn't let that person set their own goal. So I think it's really important. And if your company operates in a way where they dictate your goals for you, it's important that you have a conversation with your supervisor about the realistic expectations of what you think you're going to produce the next year. Because if they have one idea of what you're going to do and you have another and they don't align, well, that could lead to some animosity and some really awkward conversations throughout the year when you're not reaching whatever goals they have, or when you're blowing them out of the water, but the person next to you is sucking because they were dictated what their goals were too. And they had a different situation uh, with their book of business. So I think I want to, I want to drive that point home too, because we talk about that a lot in coaching. It's, not only is it important at the onset in the beginning, but it's exponentially more valuable and easier to manage somebody that has come up with their own goals, right? So in your example, right? Let's say you came up and you said, hey, this is what I want to do this year. Like this is what I think I can grow. Let's say your goal is 10%, right? The thing that matters is the manager or the person above that 
should be working to support this person to reach that goal, not cracking a whip and going, get there or get out. Because again, to your point, six weeks or two months or three months down the line, and you go, okay, like, where's the growth at? And they're like, well, I'm trying. Like, there's not really anywhere to go with it except conflict. And like you said, like two people aren't happy and they're not really aligned at all. But in option B, the one we we're talking about now, a month from now or two months from now, I can sit down with, you know, that person on my team and go, okay, Nate, you said you wanted to grow 10% this year. How are we in January? How's this playing out? What have you done? What can I do to help you get there? What resources don't you have? What else can I do to help pave the way for you? What can I do to provide you more support? What is lacking? You've got to put the activity in and the energy as the broker, Nate, but it's my job to give you everything else you need to help encourage you and support you there. So how am I failing you, Nate? And that's just a much different dynamic of a conversation throughout the year as opposed to... Yeah, there's a level of accountability that comes into play, right? Like if yeah. I set my own goals, I'm I'm the one that, you know, signed the dotted line on, you know, just saying that metaphorically, but I'm the one that like came up with this and I'm the one that's signing off on it. I got to hold myself accountable if I'm not achieving those. At the same time, if your boss is aware of your goals and you have a conversation, understand that here's what we're going to need. Here's what I'm going to need to reach these goals. Cause my boss has asked me, maybe it's that I need an assistant, or maybe it's that, um, this new customer that I've got in the pipeline is going to require a special, um, API integration or so, whatever it might be, right. That we are yep. accountable on both sides. If I couldn't reach my goals cause my boss failed to provide me with the tools that I needed, then, that's accountable. That's accountable on their part. But if I fail to put in the work to, you know, to do my part and make my calls right. and all that stuff, that's on me. Right. The right. The controllables. Right. The output. How many times are you picking up the phone? How many conversations are you having? How many leads are in your pipeline? What are you doing? What is the output? Right. Our job as the management or the owner should be getting you what you need to support you to get there. That's your end of the table. The other thing I think that's really worth pointing out that most people don't do, and I think this is a good exercise for everyone to do personally, as well as with your team, if you're a manager and owner, is when they come up with the goal, push back. Push back and ask them why this is important to them. And then push back and ask them the more important question of, why are you willing to work harder for longer or do more to get this? Why is it that important to you? Because I think we've gotten to this habit of just picking goals because we think that's what we should be doing. We should be getting 10%. We should want this new car, this new house, or we should want this because this is what we see in you know society. But the reality is, is where those go terribly wrong throughout a year is some of these things are never really that important to that person in the beginning. They just picked them because they thought that's what was expected of them. They thought that's what the other people on their team picked. So when it comes down to your point, doing the work to get the growth, it was never important enough for them to push harder to get there in the first place. Some people are just okay. And that's okay too. Like some people are very happy with what they're making, don't necessarily want to do more to get more, maybe want other things in their life. And that's okay too. But when these conversations aren't had, so much miscommunication and misalignment of management teams and salespeople because they were never aligned in the first place, right? And you try to fix that down the road, it's like impossible. I always like to when you can have different types of goals. And I had a I had a boss in the past that was really good at this. He'd say like, you know, I want... I want you to, you know, present your goals on your numbers, um, but I want you to present your goals on, you know, new business 
and your existing business separately. And I also yep. want some personal goals. Maybe it's something that you want to do in your personal life, a trip you want to go on or whatever, right? It, it kind of takes you outside of that in the office thing and you can you know, have an actual yes. goal that's realistic in your life. But the other thing that I hit on before was new business and old business, right? So I love the January 1st, right? I think zero. That is how much new business I have this year, right? Because if you had a stellar year last year and you got great customers, don't get lazy. Don't sit idle because you're gonna have a you're gonna have an instance where a customer either goes out of business, they choose somebody else, you have too many service failures and you lose their the business with them, or whatever, right? A pandemic hits and they shut down for 45, you know, there's all kinds of things. So having the mindset of I have, I'm at zero on January 1st, and my goal is to have X amount of new business. I, I'm a huge fan of differentiating that. I've had um a lot of conversations with folks like literally in the last month where they come to me, they're like, so, you know, I had this issue with my customer. What should I do now? Cause I don't have their business anymore. And they haven't worn the prospecting hat in like over a year. Yes. They've just gotten so used to how great things have been the last year or so. And they're like, who do I, who do I prospect? What should I go after? And it's like, that is why we always tell you, you need to have a constant, new business and prospecting mindset. It's going to be less part of your your day and your routine, but it should be sprinkled in there because if you're not bringing a new business each and every year, when that natural attrition happens, you're just going to shrink. I always say if you're not growing, you're shrinking, right? Yeah. Whether you're aware of it or not, like there's risk there. And if you're not, if you don't have a prospecting funnel, right? Like at least a few hundred leads that you've been working for a period of time to build that up takes a month or two, a few months, like a whole quarter, if not closer to four or five months. Like the first six months in this job, if you've never done it, is building your pipeline funnel to get that momentum, right? But again, what you tend to see, and this is probably the most common reason people leave our industry, is they stop prospecting altogether when things get good enough for them and something inevitably happens, right? And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that something you did. It could be that your customer didn't get the sales that they thought they were going to get last quarter, that their projects they didn't get through, or that they couldn't get the financing in the same terms that they were able to last year to finance their inventory. So they're not growing as fast, right? These yep. are all things well without, well outside of our control, but impact how much you're earning, how much business you're doing, and whether or not you're going to be making enough to cover your bills next year, right? Or your expenses or whatever those things are. Yeah. And that it just made me think of another point I wanted to hit on, which is you know, what are actionable things that you can do to prepare for the new year? And it's talk to your customers. What do they have going on? Just because they had a certain type of business or level of business this year does not mean that they're going to have the same stuff going on next year, right? They might have some big plans in the works where, hey, we're we're investing a lot of time in this new thing, but it's going to slow us down for a few months. Or, hey, we're actually going to be blowing up or, hey, we're switching to a bid process or we're using this new... Um, TMS integration for our billing, know what's going on. And as you get to the end of the year and things slow down and they're doing more inventory or their, their production slowing down, it's a great time to be able to talk to your customers and figure out what's on the horizon for them. And the other thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing too, back to the prospecting part is think about how difficult it is when you, like you said, you, you spend those first six months getting every, get everything, getting that engine starting to spin and getting the wheels turning just to get that momentum to launch you forward, 
And if you just if you stop prospecting and then you have to get back into it down the road, it's like oh, this again. But if you keep that as part of your routine, that's the easiest prospecting that you'll ever do. You're not stressed because you don't feel like you're shoved in a corner and desperate, right? You can smell a desperate person when they're on the phone. You don't want to be oh, that person. They, they call it a commission breath, right? It's like you can hear <laughs> how desperate somebody is and nobody buys off that person. In any industry that I've ever worked in or ever coached in or ever known anybody that works in, right? Yeah. If your back's against the wall, your voice is going to change. Your, you know, your aggressiveness changes, the need to constantly talk in the short term, because that's the other big thing that, uh, that I've seen with people, you know, that haven't been prospecting for a year or two is when they've lost some business coming into this market. It's, well, how do I get more loads today and this week? Well, unfortunately, there's not a really good way to build a business by calling people and asking what they need help with right now all the time. Because again, you've got no rapport, no relationship. They don't know you from anybody, from the next guy that called them. It's difficult. It's more difficult than it needs to be. And you're creating unnecessary stress on yourself, right? Yeah. If you start looking out far enough out, it's way less stressful. And it's easier to have the conversations to your point. Yeah. Think about like if you go to the gym or if you're a runner, um, when you first get into it, it's like, it sucks, right? Because your body's like, what are you you doing to me Mm -hmm. right now, right? I remember when I trained uh, trained for like half marathons and like doing like a two mile run, three mile run, four mile run. I was like hard. And then you get to the point where like very easy to run a 10 mile run and just go breeze on a Saturday for an hour and change and boom, too easy. But then I stopped running after I ran some races and I decided a couple of years later, like I want to get back into it. And I'm like, I I tried like a a couple weeks and I was like, nope, not doing this again because my body (laughs) was so accustomed to it. But then I just stopped. Right. Same kind of momentum you get with prospecting and you lose how good you are at it too. Like when you get in the the method of like just hop on the phone with somebody new all the time becomes second nature to you, right? You're comfortable with it. Whereas if you stop and all you're doing is talking to your existing customers that you know, and then you're forced to go talk to a stranger again, it's like, uh, this doesn't feel very comfortable. It's kind of that awkwardness. So don't ever stop prospecting. That's the whole thing. And there's always this, there's this other adage too, that it's, if you're doing something right, like you, you're never going to think your way into different action, but you can act your way into different thinking, right? To your point, if you keep acting, it becomes normalized and isn't nearly as stressful. As soon as you stop, the all of the effort almost goes into just trying to start again. It's like the 300 pound phone is the first phone call. The second phone call right after that might be 250 pounds, but it's certainly not three. And then the third, fourth, and so on to where eventually it's just part of what you do every day, or at least part of what you do regularly on a weekly basis. And you don't have to now overcome these emotional hurdles and all these fears and everything else all at the same time that you're not making as much money. And now you're second guessing whether or not you even want to do the job or work in this or do anything else because you're like, oh man, I don't know where to call. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say anymore. And then it's paralysis by analysis. And then we've got no yeah. action. I mean, think about think about how confident you are when business is good, right? Take that confidence and hop on a call. Plus, in addition to that, when things are going good and you have good, solid customers, you can go and prospect their competition. You can go look at different verticals of stuff inside of that arena that they operate in, right? It's way easier. You're not desperate. You're confident. Everything feels good. And then you lose that customer and you're like, well, why would I want to go prospect their competition? It's just going to remind me of how much I hate 
this, you know, like someone that's like, I'm just so sick of working on X and Y product. My customer dropped me because we had so many issues. You're not going to want to go prospect that anymore. But if things are good, go out there and keep doing what you're doing. And you can do a little bit less of it as you get more business. But, you know, we used to, we used to say, from being desperate. We used to say that the best time to make, to close a sale is right after you closed one. So even in other industries that I was in before this, like if you closed a deal, the manager or whoever was working with you to help you was like, get back on the phone right now. And it was just like, it's like, take that energy, take that euphoria, like all that adrenaline and go put it to good use because you're most likely to carry that into the next phone call. In the same way, if you're not doing it at all, it's much harder to recreate that type of energy and that type of... Well, oh yeah, it is. There's a, I think I probably brought this up before. There's the Jordan Belfort book, The Wolf of Wall Street. One of the things he talks about, oh, I'm sorry, it's, is it, is it The Wolf of Wall Street? Is that where he talks about his selling thing or is that where he just tells the story of whatever he did? Either way, he wrote a book, his sales process, yeah. right? Like the straight mm-hmm. line method or whatever it was. Yeah. One of the things he talks about is to replicate your, like take to physically Get your mindset and your body to feel like it was when you had a good win. And he like, he recommended like this tube that you would sniff. And I don't, I'm sure he's put a lot of things up his nose, but it was basically like a chapstick, <laughs> right? And if, once you yeah. close a deal, smell it and you'll yes. remember that smell. And then if you're in like a little bit of a slump, smell it. Or right before you hop on another call, smell it. It's, you're, it's almost like that, the, the dog, or is it Pavlov's That's, dog? Or yeah, Pavlov's dog with a bell. But you know what? Smell is the closest sense tied to memory. Um, that's why like, you'll smell something and it'll bring up a memory of like when you're four years old that you haven't thought of in 30 some years, right? You're like, oh, your grandma's pie or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, honestly, I've never read that, but it seems like it would work. And I mean, it's going to just start, you know, training your brain to start being able to create that reward system for yourself. There's lots of the, uh, my other take on that book. So I, I like to read a lot and I like reading from people that are really good at the sales craft. And there's a lot I don't like about Jordan Belfort's uh, style. Like yeah. he's all about like, you know, stick to the script. Don't get off topic and don't talk about BS cause you're wasting time. And I'm like, I personally find that the relationship building it pays dividends down the road. So that's my caution if you do read that book. Yeah, different sales, um, right? That's B2C where we're B2B and they're different contexts and you're selling into a different situation. Like, again, I don't necessarily agree with that in our industry, but I've worked in B2C industries where it can definitely help. So again, in our industry, I, I think I'm, I'm in where you are, where you should have some approach where you have a general idea of what you want to say, but go where the conversation leads, not where yep. you're trying to hope it goes. Because yep. it's going to be different for every time you're on the phone. So good stuff. We have. Um, me, I'm looking forward to. Ask, yeah. Before we get into that, I want to let's go through like what a like what a goal is, right? Like a smart goal, and like how what is a good goal versus what isn't a decent goal, right? Um, yep. So I think smart goals were just a good acronym that I've always remembered. Your goal yeah. should be specific, measurable, attainable relevant and have a time component to it, right? If yep. they don't have any of those five things, they're closer to a dream or a wish than they are like an objective or a goal, right? But I think yeah, that's so important like an, as sitting there. A, non, a non-smart goal would be like, I want to do $3 million in revenue, okay? Yes. It's specific, but 
Yep. Are you measuring the profitability of that? Is it actually attainable? Can you do it? Um, relevance, okay, but is there a time bound? Three million in what? Yeah, like a month. You want three million? Years, do, ten years. What, what you could say is, I want to do it next year. I want to grow my business by twenty percent and maintain a sixteen percent profit margin. Something yep. like that. That would be a smart goal. But though you're and right. Even, Go ahead. I want to say, and one step further, you take that goal and then break that down into quarters and then hopefully weeks and then into days so that you can align what your output is with the goal, right? Okay, if my goal is to grow what you just said, we'll say 20% and maintain these margins over 12 months. Okay, how many new customers do I need to do that? How many phone calls do I need to make on average to close a customer? Am I making progress towards that daily and weekly or am I getting farther away from it, right? You need some barometer that is much shorter term to let you know whether or not you're going in the right direction or if you're yes. not moving in that direction at all. Yep, absolutely correct. That's why, and I'll wrap it up with this on the goal stuff, but that's why I like doing the, I would always call it like the hot wash in the army where you take like, basically you take a knee and do a quick wash or a quick rundown on what's gone on so far. So like middle of the year, right? Or at the end of the quarter. And if my goal is to do a million dollars in new business and I'm midway through the year, if I'm not trending there and if I'm not halfway there roughly yet, and I can't achieve that. Well, then I've got to change my expectations or do something differently to pivot or catapult myself yep. in the second half of the year. So, And again, I would reiterate, I think everybody should have goals that are short enough terms and rewarding enough that they matter to you, right? I've always been a big advocate of having a small goal at the end of every week for your calls, no matter where you're at. Maybe it's going out to dinner. Maybe it's going on a vacation. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it's important enough for you to want to hit it. And I think the more you have that are smaller and on shorter timeframes, the more effective it is because that's where really where we fall off the path, right? It's because we just made this goal in January. We don't look at it again until March. And at the end of January, we're not evaluating anything. We're not putting any output. We're not closing any customers. We're also not filling our funnel. Three months later, you don't need to wait that long to realize you weren't tracking to hit that. You should be able to know that within a week or two. And you should be able to look at this daily and weekly, at least relevant, you know, some way so that you know whether or not you're doing the things you need to do to get there, right? I did a, uh, I got like really intense about goal planning and tracking the one year. And I'd made this spreadsheet that broke down like each month. And I had it where like I had, I took the annual goal and I broke it up into the months, but I had it like weighted where like, January was less weighted because I, the snowball effect, right? So like, obviously if I got, if there's new business that came on in January, they're going to be really good versus any new business that comes out in October, which is going to have a lesser impact. But I had it all weighted and I'd put my numbers in and then it would like spit out the percentage to goal that I was for that month. And it would turn mm-hmm. it like green or yellow or red. Um, but like I, every, uh, every month I was going in there and like updating with my numbers um, so yeah, it's a, it's a cool way that you can kind of break down your big stuff into more bite-sized pieces. So, um, good stuff. You got anything else on year end planning and goal setting? I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. The, the biggest one, or we see the biggest, I don't know, impacts 
like actually coaching people is in doing this, is in the accountability weekly and every other week and making sure that they're making the progress on the things they want to. And again, can't reiterate enough how important it is that they need to be important enough for you to want to do the thing that is going to be difficult enough to get you it, right? Like, oh, I want this huge house. Well, okay, what would you need to do? And are you willing to do it? And do you want that house enough that you're willing to make the trade-off, right? That's the disconnect that most people don't make when they're planning out their goals and their objectives on a year, I think. Very true. All right. We'll give a shout out to our friends at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, Visit them at www.leangroup.com. That's L-E-A-N group.com. Uh, th- we got Q&A here. Three questions. The first one is, how do I sign on a carrier once I have freight? Um, well, I would tell you the vetting process. You should be making sure that you check their authority, their insurance, and you should put a broker carrier contract in place. And I'm not going to go way in depth on the vetting process, but we've got plenty of other content that looks at um, safety scores, double brokerage risk, all that stuff. But I mean, the, the, the main ones, make sure they're authorized. They have, they're authorized and insured um, and that you have a contract in place. Would you, do you have anything else that I'm missing on the carrier setup side? No, I would just you know, point out you should be using a software to vet them, especially right now in kind of the market with the prevalence of double brokers, whether it's my carrier packets or highway or carrier ashore or carrier for one. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, and have a rate confirmation for each and every load that you're yes. tendering out to a carrier. That's got the price, special instructions or notes, contingent prices or deductions for things that may happen or fail to happen, stuff like that. So good question. Second, is there a certification that brokers need for dealing with produce and food? Uh, There's not. There is the, so we actually have all of our people do the the Food Safety Modernization Act, FDA training. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think there actually is, that might be a compliance checklist item if you're moving fresh produce. But the it's the FISMA training, the Food Safety Modernization Act. It's like a little slide deck you can go through on the FDA website and multiple choice quiz, and it gives you a certificate at the end. It's free from the FDA, and it goes through like cleanliness of trailer and pulping and how to prevent cross contamination or progress stuff like that. Is there anything else that you're aware of? The Blue Book does. So like if you're a member of the Blue Book, like they're vetting you to some degree and the shippers can see your rating through Blue Book from that. So it's not necessarily a certification, but it is a way for shippers to look at you as a brokerage and what other shippers have said about you, I think. But we can ask them more details on exactly how that breaks down and what that shows. Yeah. Um, But I know that I've used that in the past. Good stuff. All right. Last one. I love this question. How do I tell a shipper that I found their contact info if I found it on Zoom info and I don't actually know them? So it was, I, I paraphrased the question, but the guy asked, 
Like I'm finding these people on Zoom info or wherever, and now I'm just going to like randomly call their cell phone or call their phone number. And how, like, what do I say? How do I, how do I, how I found them? Um, probably wouldn't tell them that you found them on Zoom info. We'll start with that. If you can find some way to connect that yourself and them in some way, that's good. But at the same time, if you can get someone on the phone interested as to why they should be listening to you, they don't care where you found their phone number, essentially. Like if someone calls me and they've got what I want or what I need, I don't care how they found my number. I'm glad they found my number. Um, You could, I mean, what do you think on this one? Yes. And I think, honestly, I'll give a couple of creative ways that you can just do this. Hey, I was researching some companies that work with similar customers that we have. Hey, um, found your name. Honestly, I was researching companies that were similar to the customers we have. Um, Hey, your ABC, I don't know, widgets, we ship for, you know, XYZ widgets. We were researching other companies that we have, you know, similarities. We haul that type of freight. We've got a lot of expertise in it and how to prevent claims, whatever that is, right? Again, I can probably even tell them I found their number through Zoom Info if I gave them a reason why I found it there, right? Yeah, the other thing too is like um, LinkedIn, like, hey, you know, I I was doing my research on this company and um, (laughs) I saw that you're, I saw on your LinkedIn that you work in the traffic department over there. Um, and realistically, you can get a lot of phone numbers from Google and from a web from their company's website most of the time now. So it's I don't think people are assuming that you got their number off of Zoom info. And you could go, you might be working on a big brokerage, and they're just in a CRM, like in a big database. Yep. And that's how you got their number. Um, yeah, I don't think you're yeah. worried about that. And that's why we had to practice a lot. I mean, that was the CRMs that you had to make a certain amount of calls in every day. And a lot of these times, these people were called like last week by somebody else or yesterday or this morning, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got to constantly find creative ways to break that ice. But I think that's really where the practice comes. And we were talking about, you know, this earlier, when you're doing this every day or at least weekly all year, all of these little things you're figuring out and you're finding creative ways to break that ice and to get that conversation initiated. Because that is, I think, really where most of the work is. I think to add to that, so the folks that are fortunate enough to be at a brokerage that has a CRM with notes in it, if you are fortunate enough to get some a, a lead from a, comp, a shipper that has notes in it from a previous person that worked there, you have so much ammunition to go and talk to this person. You've got like... Like, hey, I know we talked with you guys last year and XYZ was the situation. And literally the reason you're calling is because you want to follow up and see is yes. everything the same way that it was before? Has, has their needs changed? Are they, have they done whatever they projected they were going to do from those notes? So those are your friend. Like if so, I could follow up with all the time and you probably do too from someone that I was – I'm on their lead list for – whatever like something i signed up for years ago and they're like hey just checking in you still what you still with verizon or you still with whatever right and you know it's kind of expected that you're in someone's database or something like that so and i think again the more creative ways you can find it's sometimes i i would pick the area of the country and be like hey i was giving you a ring honestly because we know a storm just came through want to see how everything was going down there i know we spoke with you a month or so ago you spoke with jimmy over here said you didn't need anything but hey how is everything going after the storm did you guys get disrupted a little bit? How did that deal with your routing guides? You got stuff stuck on your dock that couldn't get out. Just wanted to see how things were going. Is everybody back in the office? 
whatever you can find to creatively give them a reason for why you called to just initiate it. Because once you're past that, they don't go back and quiz you about it. Like the conversation's right. well past that. You never have to do that again. Exactly. Good stuff. Well, hey, next week we got an awesome, fun episode. We're, ha we're having one of our listeners actually join us, and we're going to talk through his success story and his first handful of years in brokerage. So if you guys have any questions that you want to ask, um, want us to ask him besides the ones that we are going to ask, shoot us a message or something on uh, the form on our website or to info at freight360.net. We'll make sure to include as many of the questions as we can uh, when we bring them on next week. So it's good. It's going to be a good one. It's, it's always fun when we get to hear people that, that do well and our content and what we deliver for free has been impactful and assisted them in that. So I'm excited for that one. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm really anxious to do that. I, I like doing those interviews. It's nice to be able to give our audience, you know, a peek into how some of the people are doing what it is they're doing, right? Giving them a view of what the road looks like ahead of them. So it's going to be a really good interview. Definitely. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. You got any final thoughts here, Ben? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a new home for your agency, reach out to me over at Business to Business Logistics. You can reach out to Nate. Um, you can reach us both at info at freight360.net. Um, no, that's pretty much all I got. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bells. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. And if you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.